0: Hate crimes, tragically, are nothing new to members of the Asian American community. Today's guest helps us put them in historical context, from the Asian Exclusion Acts to the rise of violence targeting Asian Americans during the COVID-19 pandemic. She's Dr. Janelle Wong, this week, on Story in the Public Square. Hello, and welcome to A Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. I'm Jim Lutis from the Pell Center at Salve Regina University. Joining me from his home in Rhode Island is my great friend and colleague, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal. Each week, we talk about big issues with great guests, authors, journalists, scholars, and more, to make sense of the stories that shape public life in the United States today. This week, we're joined by Dr. Janelle Wong a professor of American Studies at the University of Maryland. Janelle, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So there's a lot that we want to talk to you about today, but we're, we're, we're especially mindful of the recent surge in uh, hate violence uh, targeting uh, Asian Americans. And I was looking at some data from an advocacy group called Stop AAPI Hate, which report which reported 2800 incidents of anti-Asian hate from 47 states in Washington DC in the period in the period between March 2020 and the end of last year and an additional 987 incidents in the first 2 months of 2021 those numbers are kind of startling and and, and shocking uh what do you make of them
1: well i think what these numbers show is Definitely more attention to the kind of anti-Asian violence that's occurring in the U.S. What we've seen is, you know, we didn't have data really before the pandemic started, but there's definitely been an increase in especially worry among Asian Americans in terms of the possibility possible backlash against the pandemic as people started to blame China and um, on the spread of the the virus. And so I think what this moment is really capturing is, yes, there is a potential for backlash against Asian Americans, but this is also a kind of reaction that people in the U.S. have had to uh, Asian Americans in this country since, since really, the beginning of immigration of Asian-Americans to U.S. shores. And so there have been times throughout history that Asian-Americans have been scapegoated and blamed for potential, uh, you know, bringing disease, bringing their culture, bringing potential uh, kinds of disruptions to U.S. life. And this is this is really part of this longer history.
0: So when I think about this issue, my, my mind goes back to things like the alien, like the Asian Exclusion Act, uh, the uh, internment of uh, Japanese Americans in the Second World War. Give us just a sense of that of that long sweep of history of of discrimination against uh, Asians uh, who are have either immigrated to the United States who are, or or who are you know uh, uh, second generation or later uh, citizens.
1: Yeah. So those incidents you bring up always occur during times of kind of national anxiety for the, especially white population in the U.S. And so during exclusion, there were bans on immigration from China and then eventually other parts of Asia, precisely because, justified really by this kind of similar rhetoric as today that, that Chinese would bring disease to the U.S., that they would bring their uh, strange religions and strange languages, But then we see as U.S. history kind of marches on that there are other moments where the U.S. feels either economic anxiety or other kinds of anxiety. So either military anxiety as you mentioned with World War II and the internment of Japanese Americans and also economic anxiety that happened in the 1980s as Japan started to become a more formidable economic power. There was a feeling of threat, especially in the US auto industry. And so Vincent Chin, a Chinese man uh, born in the US was killed by two white auto workers who thought he was Japanese. This actually started to spur the Asian American movement. But then also we've seen more recently, even in 2012, attacks against Sikh Americans who are seen as fundamentally Um, foreign in some ways because they are blamed for especially terrorism they're mistaken as Muslim in the US and so this kind of cycle of violence against Asian Americans is really embedded in US history it's not always prominent it doesn't always get the attention that it's getting today but it certainly is sort of lurking in the past and now in the present
2: so can you give us a, a bit of an overview of, of the beginnings, the origins of this? And, and it's in the 18, the mid-1800s when Asians came to this country uh, for jobs, jobs in the railroad industry and other industries. Um, that's when it began. And many of these people, most of these people came uh, through California, which, of course, is your home state. Just give us a quick view of that, wh- what was going on, the economic factors. You mentioned the economy today. but also go back and and give us a a bit of a view.
1: Yeah, so in the mid-1800s, Chinese began to arrive on U.S. shores and they were here partly as a a labor recruitment as the uh, country needed more people to do low-wage work on the Transcontinental Railroad and in agriculture. And so Congress was actually pushing for labor recruitment and described Chinese Americans as especially well-suited to uh, to agricultural work. Quickly, though, that turned to a sense of potential uh, economic competition. And as more Chinese came, they were still like less than 1% of the population. Then, uh, especially uh, white-led unions started to mobilize against them with real fears of not only economic competition, but fears, as I mentioned before, that Asian Americans, Chinese Americans would pollute the U.S. labor force, not only with um, potential sources of competition, but with strange foods, strange religions, strange languages.
2: So returning to the present, uh, what what was the impact of the Trump administration on anti anti Asian and Asian American hate and hate crimes, and clearly that was a big factor in 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 what has been going on for the last several years. And not it's not just the pandemic. This precedes that.
1: Yeah. So of course, this is the the rise in um, xenophobia is partly a, a t- associated with President Trump. So while these things have been these kinds of trends in history, anti-Asian sentiment has been part of US history. It is triggered at times by especially uh, rhetoric from political leaders. And Trump is a good example of that. And so as Trump started to uh, talk about China as an enemy and getting tough on China, then because of this longer history and association of in the US mind of Asian Americans as fundamentally foreign, then they become an easy scapegoat. What happened in terms of um, the pandemic in particular though, is that as China became the target of Trump's blame, then we saw other political leaders take up that same kind of language calling the virus, the Wuhan virus, calling it the Kung flu, and there's a lot of evidence in, uh, in terms of looking at trends on Twitter, and then associating um, those trends with implicit bias. That as rhetoric sort of started to center on Chinese as a potential source of, um, of the virus, then people's implicit bias towards Asian Americans as a whole began to increase and. One of the most interesting things about this moment of the pandemic moment is that while the blame was sort of squarely on China, Asian Americans of all different national origins felt the impact. So they all expressed worries, including Indian Americans, and they were all subject to racist attacks to some degree. So many of those attacked are not Chinese. They were, you know, Korean. They were Southeast Asian, and so that shows you the kind of. Um, the, the nature of anti-Asian bias it doesn't ever center on a single group usually
0: is is there any understanding of how those leader and group dynamics work I, I in an earlier part of my career i remember looking at the 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 rise of ethnic violence in various parts of the world and the role of the leaders is, is really essential in understanding why populations that traditionally have lived very well together for a very long time suddenly turn on one another. Is Do we have an understanding of how that has happened for uh, members of the AAPI community in the United States in this current context?
1: Well, you know, I think most of us do uh, trace the, the particular way that anti-Asian rhetoric affects our group by by really looking at these deeper roots in history, the the tenacious power of this perpetual foreigner stereotype is fairly unique. It's not only it's not only Asian Americans who feel it. So sometimes uh, Latin Americans are subject to the same kind of um, outsider status. But you know, if you think about let's say Russians, and there's been a lot of con- condemnation of Russia as infiltrating our um, democracy as trying to tear down our democracy, you don't see the same kind of backlash when leaders are very harsh um, towards Russia at times, right? And uh, it doesn't necessarily translate then into a scapegoating of people who are Russian in the U.S., partly because of race. I mean, it really comes down to why does this happen? Because Asian Americans are distinctive in terms of their racialization in the U.S. And that leads to a certain kind of experience that isn't experienced by European immigrants.
2: So we could do a whole program on this question. Um, it's something we, we talk about a lot, and that's the, the role of the media in influencing thinking and politics and policies. But give us, again, sort of an overview, of pro and con, of the role the media have played over the years, and, and particularly now, in this current climate in, in early 2021?
1: Yeah, the media has played, I mean, on the one hand, the media is what is drawing attention to the current experiences of Asian Americans. And I see you know reporters and journalists doing a lot of work to kind of lift up this particular, maybe less understood experience of race in the US that is embodied by Asian Americans. But at the same time, there is this long history of the media, you know, kind of going all in on certain kinds of stereotypes covering Asian Americans as um, either foreigners or as, um, you know, especially uh, well-suited to math and um, science. You know, I I have to say that I think the media has done a, a very important job in drawing attention to especially violence against Asian Americans, but one of the uh, frustrations I have is that it, is, it's, it tends to focus on Asian Americans outside of the broader context. So Asian Americans, about 10%, have reported experiencing a hate incident in the first months of 2021. And 10% of black Americans and about 10% of Latinos have also reported a hate incident. And so, you know, I think we need to understand the experience of Asian Americans as rooted in much of the same kinds of racism that other groups face, but also distinct. And that's kind of what I'm not seeing as much of in this moment.
0: We need to take a quick moment for station identification. This is Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. An audio version of this show can be heard four times every weekend on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's Popular Politics of the United States. That's the POTUS channel, number 124. We produce Story in the Public Square with a great crew at Rhode Island PBS, and we're lucky to work with them. I'm Jim Lutis. On most days, you can find me running the Pell Center at Salve Regina University in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, you can do so at JMLutis. Joining me as he does every week in the co-host chair is my friend G. Wayne Miller, who is an award-winning journalist with the Providence Journal and the author of 19 books. You can find Wayne on Twitter, too, at G. Wayne Miller. And our guest this week is Janelle Wong, a professor of American Studies at the University of Maryland, where she is a member of the core faculty in Asian American Studies, Dr. Wong is on Twitter, too, at Prof. Janelle Wong. That's P-R-O-F-J-A-N-E-L-L-E-W-O-N-G.
2: So let's talk about two very recent events. Uh, The first one is the mass shooting in Atlanta in March. That, I think, brought to people who maybe had not been paying attention uh, a focus on, on this Obviously this is a terrible tragedy, but do you think that in any way, at least in the media context, will begin to show a a greater awareness and understanding?
1: Definitely that tragic event brought more attention to violence against Asian Americans, particularly the ways in which um, certain tropes associated with white supremacy. Um, For instance, the idea that Asian women are, you know, particularly sexually hypersexualized. That that the fact that it was a white white shooter, you know, who was attacking these kind of places that were where non-white people were on the front lines, um, I think, did raise up uh, some awareness. Um, at the same time, you know, I think that again, that incident was sort of treated in isolation to some extent, and um did did draw this very important. Um, attention to the Asian American experience with especially racialized violence, but it also, you know, kind of failed to connect. You know, this was all unfolding against the the background of the trial of Derek Chauvin, who killed George Floyd, um, and other incidents of police violence. And so, you know, I one of the things my colleagues and I did after the Atlanta shootings. Two days later, we had a survey in the field with Survey Monkey that really brought out some of the both kind of commonalities across racial groups and the differences. So we find, for instance, that yes, Asian-Americans 60% or more are likely to say, you know, someone um, told them asked them where they were from, assuming they're not from the US, or more than 40% have been treated like they don't speak English when they do. But at the same time, we also found that Asian Americans were the least likely to experience police violence. They were less likely than other groups, Black Americans, Pacific Islanders, Native Americans to face housing discrimination. They are the least likely to be told by a teacher to um, not to continue their education. And so understanding the Asian American experience, the particular ways in which we experience racism in connection to how other groups also experience racism. I think it's like this fundamental opportunity right now that we need to reflect on more deeply.
2: So the other event, of course, was the uh, guilty verdict. Uh, Actually, we're taping this in April. It was just yesterday of Derek Chauvin of the murder of George Floyd. How do you see that impacting the the entire national dialogue and in particular uh, Asian American people?
1: I mean, I think that it is, again, an opportunity that tragedy is something that really also presents an opportunity for solidarity by Asian Americans, and we are seeing some of that, but it's complicated. One of the police officers that witnessed and and was a bystander in the um, killing of George Floyd was an Asian American man, right? And he was Hmong American, one of the least... Um, Advantaged groups, most marginalized groups in the Asian American community, among Americans. So, you know, I think what we are looking at here is a, a chance to for for greater understanding. I know may, many Asian Americans, for instance, you know, it, our surveys show a majority of Asian Americans support Black Lives Matter, and that is especially true among young people. If you ask people. Whether or not they want to reallocate funds from police to education and healthcare, we see a critical mass of Asian Americans supporting that kind of policy. But we also see some divisions. So older people are more conservative, especially on um, some of these issues. But what I've what has been very interesting about this moment is after Atlanta, after the attention to anti-Asian bias that we've seen over the past year, grassroots community organizations in the Asian American community have been like hyper vigilant about trying to change the narrative from one of policing, 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 and hate crimes, which, you know, increased hate crime legislation, which is one way to address these, to something else, community investment uh, doubling down on anti-poverty programs, trying to think more broadly about long-term solutions to bias that don't necessarily just go to this kind of traditional narrative of, yeah, there's there's crime, let's go to more police. That is not necessarily the answer, according to many organizations on the ground.
2: So that's certainly a welcome development.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it is a real testament to the leaders that were You know, Asian American leaders who were on the ground before the Atlanta shootings will be there in the future who have developed, I think, very strong relationships with other racial justice community organizations so that they're very much aware in maybe the way that you were hinting at, you know, of the experiences of other groups. And they don't want to invest in a response that could lead to very tragic consequences for other communities of color.
0: So, Janelle, I wonder if we could take a step back and and look at the the, the political dynamics in all of this. You were the principal, uh, co-principal investigator of the 2016 National Asian American Survey, uh, a nationwide survey of Asian Americans' political and social attitudes. Um, Let's talk a little bit about what you found in the course of that survey.
1: So this is also, you know, there's so much attention right now to Asian Americans' and whether or not they will present a meaningful force in the larger US electorate and in US politics and when people are talking about Asian Americans they are usually talking about you know is there really an Asian American agenda what holds this really diverse group that you know represents so many national origins so many language groups so many generations what holds them together and the stereotype would say oh it's Either immigration issues or it's education, because those are the two stereotypes that we are saddled with the perpetual foreigner stereotype and the model minority stereotype. But if you, what we found in 2016, and it continues to be true in 2020, is that the issues that hold Asian Americans together that make them really distinct from other Americans are healthcare. So 80% of Asian Americans support universal healthcare, they love Obamacare. Second is the environment. Asian Americans are environmentalists and environmental voters. Almost nobody thinks of them as such. Asian Americans are pro-gun control. So even the most Republican Asian American groups, sky high support for gun control. And then finally, and this sometimes blows people's minds, this is a group that across the board supports big government programs and the taxes that might be needed to support those programs. So we see tremendous support, much more than in the general population among both Democrats and Republicans for taxing the rich to provide a middle-class tax cut. And that's even true of those making over 200,000 a year. So this is a community I think that um, you know, parties and candidates, they don't quite reach out to Asian Americans on these issues yet, but these are the issues that really do present the Asian American agenda.
0: That sounds like a very progressive agenda.
1: That has also been a big surprise. You know, I think people think, they consider Asian Americans sort of split, but Asian Americans are becoming a more consistent block. There are people who, a lot of people who are nonpartisan, but we're really seeing that over the last 20 years, a kind of consolidation with the Democratic party. Is it a shoe in for the Democrats? No because there's still a lot of pockets of conservatism among Asian Americans, and we still see lack of outreach by the political parties to Asian Americans. Even, you know, I think maybe what parties might be focusing on is, even as we saw, Asian Americans were pretty important in in swing states like Georgia in 2020 and in the runoffs.
2: So the Biden administration is obviously still young, but what's your, your early take on the Biden administration on these issues?
1: You know, I'm I I don't have a lot of faith that uh, there will be, you know, kind of consistent outreach to Asian Americans by either party after what I've witnessed in my lifetime, that Asian Americans seem like an exciting new group of voters sometimes. But when it gets when the rubber hits the road next close to an election, then Parties start to think, oh, why are we going to go after a group that's mostly in California, New York, and Hawaii, these very blue states? Why are we going to go after a group that, you know, yeah, they lean one way, but they're not a sure, sure thing. And I get worried every election cycle that there won't be enough attention. But I will give it to the Biden administration. They did more paid media than any other campaign did. It was late because they got their money late. Right. And so, you know, we do see every election cycle, a little bit of attention to Asian Americans in the three, four weeks before the election.
0: Janelle, your 2018 book, Immigrants, Evangelicals and Politics in an Era of Demographic Change, seems to me like it would have to touch on a lot of these issues. Can you tell us a little bit about that book?
1: Yeah, thanks. So we, got, I... we got
0: about a minute and a half left.
1: OK, <laughs> <laughs> no problem. That book started out looking at growing numbers of immigrants among evangelicals and ended up being about how white evangelicals maintain political power in the face of massive demographic change. And so we have seen white evangelicals decline in the population, but they have not declined as a force in the American electorate. They still represent a quarter of the electorate. Um, And so I'm, I'm waiting for the moment to see when Immigration is going to is going to change the evangelical population in the U.S. It's coming. It's not yet.
0: Are there are there Asian members, Asian American members of the evangelical churches?
1: Yeah, about thirteen percent of all evangelicals are either Asian American or Latino. And I thought long ago that that growing number would force white evangelicals to embrace more progressive immigration policies but as we can see, that did not happen.
0: Fascinating. Go ahead, Wade.
2: Yeah, no, just what's on the horizon for you? You're obviously very busy and, and do a lot of great work. What, what, what can we look for in, in the next you know months and years? Really quick.
1: I am starting to look at conservative Asian American movements that are challenging uh, progressive reforms in K-12. through So the the Asian Americans that are challenging the racial integration of specialized magnet schools, and they're really tearing down the civil rights agenda.
0: Fascinating. Janelle, uh, thank you so much for sharing this story with us. That's all the time we have this week. But if you want to know more about Story in the Public Square, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, or visit PellCenter.org, where you can always catch up on previous episodes. For G. Wayne Miller, I'm Jim Lutis, asking you to join us again next time for more Story in the Public Square.